1: Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers,
0: hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.
1: We got a unique version of In the Trenches today. No, we're not talking to players, current players. We're not talking to coaches. What we are going to do is get the perspective of some of the parents of the current players on today's podcast. What are they going through? How are they handling this situation? And their reaction to everything going on, not just in Ann Arbor, not just in the state of Michigan, but across the country. We'll get to those parents here in just a few minutes on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. We're
2: hoping and praying that come fall, you know, all the kids will be back and we'll be able to be in the stands. You know, the whole, all 110,000 plus will be in the stands cheering these boys on and, uh, and we'll be able to get back to life and somewhat normalcy.
1: Once again, here's John Jansen. I'm excited to talk to some parents today. We're going to have Peach Pagano, who is Carlo Kemp's mom. We'll have Tiffany Zinter, who is Zach Zinter's mom, new freshman on campus, early enrollee, and Ben Hall, who is the pop, Of Zach Charbonnet. Uh, We'll get a chance to talk to them in just a few minutes and get their perspective on everything that is going on regarding college athletics, Michigan football, the recruiting of their sons, as well as what is going on in our country right now and how it affects their family and their family dynamics. We'll get to them in just a few minutes, but I do want to bring in Brian Bush, voice of Michigan basketball, play-by-play voice 4R7 from 77, and I'm going to start this off with Mr. Bush. How are you doing today? I'm
3: doing all right, John. It is, well, it's Thursday, so that's certainly something. Uh, We've seen snow this week, which is very much something, and I know this is really draining you because I've never really heard you complain about weather, and before we started recording... That was one of the first things you brought up of man it come on, it's snowing like it's just an extra kick in the in the downstairs region.
1: yes, um I mean i I spread them, took a full blow to the the the, the area and and not smiling at all because I woke up yesterday, Wednesday morning, there was a light dusting, made a few recordings and I looked out the window and big snowflakes were falling and it just Everybody right now is locked inside, and our saving grace in the state of Michigan here is being able to get out, walk around, enjoy the outdoor, enjoy the spring that we were having last week. We had a couple of 70-degree days. I was not, uh, nor am I, willing to accept the fact that we have snow. I have moved on. Uh, and and want to continue to move on. So um, in our our number one from you know seven from seventy seven, I know we're going to talk about you know where I'm at, what what's going on with my family, and I will tell you exactly that. Everybody wants to be out of the house. Our our walls are closing in, and we we do we do have a chance to still get out and and celebrate the outdoors, celebrate some fresh air, and and that's a huge benefit. But I'm tired of. Putting on layers to go outside. I broke out the shorts. I broke out the flip flops. I broke out, uh, you know, everything that that spring and summer have to offer here in Michigan. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna walk around for the next couple of days, even though it is snowing. I'm gonna walk around in my shorts and my flip flops, just because. And I'm I'm I'm. This is me basically giving it to Mother Nature.
3: You might be alone in all that, but I I certainly admire it. Uh, It's it's aggressive. It's very aggressive. Uh, keep us posted on that. Let us know how that goes. And, you know, if, if John's not around for a podcast next week, we'll just assume he got frostbite trying to build a snowman or something like that.
1: It, it is aggressive, and I'm in an aggressive mood. And, and so I went for a jog with my daughter yesterday. And about, you know, in the middle of a mile and a half, you know, one and a half miles. We're about 15, 16 minutes into it. And there's a truck that turns around one of the corners in our neighborhood, Big old pickup truck. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I bet you I could run square into that and I would win. That is my mindset right now. I want to take on something that is big and bad and just destroy it. I want to put my shoulder into it. I want to drive. I want to chop my feet flat back at hat speed. I can hear Mike DeBoard, Lloyd Card yelling at me right now. I want some aggression. I want some college football. Spring football was supposed to be this weekend, and I need some contact. Teach him how to punch. That's right, Les Miles.
3: Number one on today's 7 from 77 we've been checking in on each other but i'm curious from your perspective as we will talk to three michigan football parents on today's show how have you had to adjust as a dad during this time
1: you know it's it's been a challenge because you know i've got two middle school daughters i've got another daughter that's in elementary school and my son is in third grade right now and each of them are handling this in different in different ways my my two middle school daughters are um, you know, shockingly enough, disappointed that they're not going to get a chance to go back to school. And I will remind them this next fall when they, <laughs> you know, have to go back to school that, hey, remember how much you missed this? Well, you know, here's now is your time to make up that that opportunity. But, um, you know, they miss their friends. They miss the interaction. And I've never been one to necessarily be a social butterfly, but I, I, I understand that now as well. Month into this, I would like to be able to go out and see some friends you know, watch a game, do whatever I normally do and, and socialize just to see some, you know, some fresh faces interact a little bit. Um, and so it's your, your, you know, part, obviously counselor, your part, you know, dad, your, are you know, and those are all parts of dad. Um, but it's making sure that they, that they get online, they do their schoolwork, that they're progressing as they would during school, at least as close as, as they would. So you're a teacher, Um, you're a PE teacher, you're, you know, Spanish teacher, math teacher, you're all of those things. And I think a lot of parents, um, and I, I, I think they'll identify with this, there's a lot of pressure right now on parents to make sure that your kids aren't missing out on anything, educationally, physically, emotionally. And so you want to do everything you possibly can every second of the day to make sure that you're giving your kids the best chance for success in the future and that's next year it's it's going back to school my eighth grader is going to be in high school and and how will she handle that transition how will I prepare her and there's a lot of pressure on parents to to be you know what people have gone to school for and that's you know to be a professional teacher to be a professional counselor to be all of those things and you know it's hard enough as a parent to begin with when when you're when your kids are born there's no manual, and anybody can do it, and it's you find your way, and then all of a sudden a huge wrench is thrown in it like we're in, in right now, and it's just it's a challenge, and every family is finding their own rhythm, finding their own way to get through it. Um, if you have any suggestions, please send them to me on Twitter, at JohnJansen77. Would love to hear them, and I'm taking all suggestions because this is something that we've got to get through together.
3: No doubt about it. Uh, Obviously, sports help with coping during these difficult times. Uh, Big picture, sports aren't the essential businesses, but they certainly uh, do feel like it at times. And I want to get your thoughts here on what Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's from the Coronavirus Task Force at the White House, he's one of, if not the most uh, foremost authorities on the infectious disease realm. Uh, He was talking on Snapchat earlier in the week, about what sports could look like later on this year. And this is the quote. Nobody comes to the stadium, put the players in big hotels wherever you want to play, keep them very well surveilled, have them tested every single week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. I don't want to get into speculation because that's what everybody's doing at this point. But as a former High-end collegiate, high-end professional athlete. When you hear that, t- take me through what it would be like to basically put sports in a bubble and put these human beings, likely away from their families and away from normalcy, for months at a time.
1: Well, and it well, quite honestly, for professional athletes, it's about going back to work. It's about you know, it, just like everybody else, whether you are a professional athlete. Uh, you work at a local restaurant. You work your, as as a teacher. Uh, you know whatever your profession is, you just want to go back to work. And any way that that becomes possible, you're going to be willing to accept. And and what will happen is. It, it, it just depends on how long that bubble has to last. Do you have to stay in it all the way through, you know, the, the end of the football season? Or is there a part of the season where all of a sudden we get the all clear and all of a sudden, you know, now you can come out of the bubble. It's going to be those last couple of weeks or last month or whatever it is where, you know, people are going to get restless and, and they're going to want to see their families. They're going to want to do all that stuff. So from a professional's perspective, it's about just going back to work and doing what – you feel you are put on this earth to do. Um, for the, the, the collegiate player, and, and I think this is where it's a little bit different, is it's one thing to expect professionals to go about their business because they're being paid for it. And, you know, there are inherent risks, whether it's injury, whether it's illness, whatever, whatever it is, that you're being compensated for putting yourself at risk. For college athletes, it's a little bit of a different conversation because they are not being compensated. Yes, they get a scholarship. Yes, there are a lot of things that go with it. I understand that. I don't even want to get into that debate right now. But there still is a big difference between a professional athlete and a college student athlete. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle the two scenarios, um, how Mark you know, what he has to say about this. I do think that we're all looking for a glimmer of hope in regards to what might fall sports look like? Or, and, and, I, and I think actually when, when Dr. Fauci was talking, he had actually talked about sports this summer. So maybe it's even better or we don't have to go through this process in the fall. Then it just becomes, you know, how do we integrate the fans? What, what do we do to get fans back in the stadiums? And if that's a possibility or not. But I think for the mental health of our country, we need to get back to work and we need to get back to the things that bring us joy. One of those is sports. One of those is watching sports, participating in sports. And the sooner we can do that, the sooner we will feel like there is there is light at the end of the tunnel.
3: Number three on today's seven from 77. There will be a glimmer of normalcy coming up next week with the NFL draft. It starts a week from Thursday. Uh, give me a few perfect fits for some Wolverines who will be drafted, the likes of Josh Uche, who's been a high riser on a lot of experts' boards, Cesar Ruiz, Ben Bredesen, Donovan Peoples-Jones, et cetera. Not necessarily every single guy, but if you could pinpoint a few perfect fits for Wolverines heading to the NFL, what would you pinpoint?
1: Well, I'll I'll take the offensive line as a whole first, uh, and I'm probably no surprise that everybody would think I would be talking about Cesar Ruiz, Ben Bredesen, John Runyon, um, and Michael Wainu. They're, the perfect fits for them are teams like Seattle um, teams like Atlanta uh, that are a run first offense and when you look at some of those teams they're always looking to create depth on their offensive line they're always looking to to find new starters that can play multiple positions but can be you know forces inside and so I look to some of those teams I know Seattle I think they, they picked 27. I think that would be a great fit for Cesar Ruiz. Um, I think I I see him as a late first, early second. Uh, Ben Bredesen, I think he would be a great fit in Green Bay, not just because he's from Wisconsin. I think that offense, um, what they're trying to accomplish there, would be a good fit for him. San Francisco was another team that that is a, a run first offense and could use some depth uh, up front. Um, so I'd look for some of those teams to to look at our offensive linemen. When you're talking about some of the defensive players like a Josh Uche um, or a Kalik Hudson, those are those are guys that are more. You know, I don't want to say niche players, and that that fits more of a Kalik Hudson than it does a Josh Uche because Josh. I thought Josh had a great senior bowl, and one of the things that he talked about on this podcast early in last last year uh, during the season was that he wanted to be a every-down defensive player. I think by the end of the year, he proved that, and he definitely proved it in the senior bowl where he was able to take on some of the offensive linemen because a little bit undersized, but he proved that he could stand up against some of the bigger offensive linemen in the run game and make some plays thought that was great. I see him going in the second round to you know, quite possibly a team like Seattle who just lost a, a couple of defensive players. Um, you know, Kansas City is a team that I would look to, you know, say, "Hey, we want it. we we want a along with Frank Clark, former Michigan player. We want to continue to pressure opposing quarterbacks and find a way to do that. Josh Uche is that type of guy. He's led Michigan in sacks the last couple of years, can get after the quarterback, has a great Get off the ball, which makes him special and, and his ability to change directions, all of the things that we saw him do in rushing the passer will be will be good in the NFL. For DPJ, he needs to go to a team that can try and get him, get more out of him. And, and when I say get more out of him, it is to be a consistent pass catcher. And he's going to have to understand that to be, you know, the third or fourth receiver on a roster. You're going to have to be a special teams player as well. That is just something that you're going to have to do. So, you know, I would look to, uh, you know, a team like New England. I think would be a good fit for him, where they they find creative ways to use talented players, convince them that this is this is best for the team. This is what we need you to do. If you want to make the team, this is what you got to do. Um, that's where I see a, a type of, of situation like that for for DPJ.
3: So, with all that being said, let's go through a mock draft. Top 10 from John Jansen. What do you think will happen, or what do you think would be best for the teams in that top 10?
1: Well, Cincinnati obviously is going to take Joe Burrow at number one. I don't think there's any question or debate about that. He's from Ohio. We know what he, what he said and talked about in his Heisman Trophy speech. He's, he's a home run for Cincinnati. Uh, number two, I would go with uh, uh, for the Washington Redskins, Chase Young. We saw him throughout the year. We obviously saw him in Michigan Stadium at the end of the year. He didn't have the production against Michigan. Um, and, you know, I, 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 my hat's off to Michigan's offensive line. I thought they blocked him extremely well. But he's a guy that can wreak it. He's got a good step off the ball. What makes him a little bit different than from, from some of the other edge rushers or defensive ends in this draft – is that he can play every spot across the defensive line. You're not going to see him line up very often at defensive tackle in the NFL. He just doesn't have that size. But he can line up at left defensive end, at right defensive end, and there's really no drop-off in his ability to set the edge or rush the passer. So I still see him going second. Detroit Lions, and, and this is one I know a lot of people are, are picking Jeff Okuda um, or want to see Tua tunga possibly taken by the Lions. I think Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson is the perfect fit for Matt Patricia's defense. This is a guy that can play almost every position on the field. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping to see some of the creativity out of Matt Patricia that I saw when he was the defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. This is the type of guy that you insert him in that defense and you can use him in so many different ways, give many different looks, and you can match up with personnel groups a, a, lot, a lot easier uh, without having to change personnel that's actually on the field. The New York Giants, uh, having taken Dan, uh, Daniel Jones last year at quarterback, I think they go offensive line. They've got to protect him. They've got Saquon Barkley in the backfield. They've got a good base of skilled players around that offensive line. They just don't have a very good offensive line. So I'm going with uh, George's Andrew Thomas. He is a plug-and-play type player. Without having OTAs, without having you know mini camps, You've got to have guys that can step in right away and play. If you're going to draft somebody number four overall, Andrew Thomas is that type of player. He has played left tackle. They need a left tackle. And a lot of the players that you you hear coming out, whether it's uh, Tristan Wirfs out of um, Iowa, he's a player that has played right tackle exclusively at the college level. I think he can make that transition, but he's not going to get the reps he needs to make that transition and be an effective rookie. So Andrew Thomas goes to the Giants. Miami, hey, they tanked for Tua. They were lucky that he got that uh, hip injury, and will drop to number five, and they will take him. Uh, and the question about him is: Will he be able to stay healthy? Will he be able to withstand an NFL season, a sixteen-game and in the future seventeen-game NFL season? It's been a struggle for him in the college ranks. Some of those are just bad luck, but it, it you. I mean, Every year he's had an injury, so I, I still see him going number five to Miami. Number six, um, out of the L.A. Chargers, I think they go quarterback as well. Justin Herbert out of Oregon. This guy has all the tools. You would like to him to be a little bit more polished, um, but he'll have that opportunity. The Chargers aren't going anywhere special next year. They can learn. Justin Herbert can learn. Um, and he's got height, he's got size, he's got athletic ability, and he's got a rocket for an arm. So I think that's a good fit for the Chargers. Number seven, Carolina, I think they go defensive tackle, and there's no Sam Darnold in this draft, but there is a big difference between Derrick Brown, uh, former defensive tackle at Auburn, and everybody else. So I think Derek Brown goes to the Carolina Panthers. Arizona they need help up front. Jedrick Wills, offensive tackle for Alabama. I enjoyed watching him play. The only reason he didn't play left tackle was because they had Alex Leatherwood who decided to come back for his senior year. Jedrick Wills is a he's got a nasty streak. He's fun to watch. He's athletic, he's powerful. He is also a type uh, a plug and play type of player. And with Kyler Murray there, you need an athletic tackle and he provides that. Uh, Jacksonville, I think they go wide receiver. This is the first wide receiver of many off the board. Um, and that's Jerry Judy out of Alabama. We saw him obviously in the, in the citrus bowl in the bowl game speed, you know, to, to burn. He, he can get after it. He's a guy that's going to be an excellent receiver in the NFL. Jacksonville goes with him. And then Cleveland, they, they've added some pieces and free agency to their offensive line. And I think they, they round things out by going with Louisville's Makai Becton, 360 pounds, runs a, a, a sub-540. He is an absolute freak. So I see them going and securing that offensive line so they can give Baker Mayfield, they can give that wide receiving core as much support as possible. And they are in a we-got-to-win-now scenario. Uh, and I think that gives them the opportunity to be much better next year.
3: 360 pounds for an offensive lineman I mean what was your peak playing weight John
1: uh I was a svelte 320 pounds when I hung her up but most of my career I played right around 305 310 uh and it's just every once in a while and and it's it's a 360 pounds on offensive tackle is not the norm but Every once in a while, you get a player that comes along that just has all the tools. God just made him different than everybody else, and Makai Becton is that type of player.
3: Number five on today's 7 from 77. Uh, We're recording this on Wednesday, so I'm not going to get into some of the names from the basketball recruiting side, uh, but just curious, John, we'll talk a little bit about the basketball stuff. Obviously, a lot happened over the last few days with the Michigan basketball program and some of their targets and whatnot. I think it's really interesting uh, when you look at the difference in recruiting styles uh, between John Beeline and Juwan Howard. And you know what? You're going to have, when you, when you go this kind of all or nothing with five-star guys, uh, it, it's going to be a little different. You're going to have different reactions, different responses. Uh, I will say, If you look at how this class is likely going to be rounded out, it's a top 10 class. It's a group that figures to be multi-year, effective Big Ten players. You never know how it's all going to pan out when you sign a guy. Obviously, with the uncertainty of this pandemic, that adds some complications to it. But if you think about where Juwan Howard came from, When he was recruiting class of 2020 top 100 guys. He was not in the college basketball world 12 months ago. Yet he was able to secure several top 100 players. Be very much in the mix for a bunch of others. And you know what? You're going to have some second, some third, some fourth place finishes with recruits. That's how recruiting goes. But even though this week was a little bit of a bummer, I'll say this. If if you were looking one year ago at the Juwan Howard resume and thinking, okay, how does he make the plunge and how does he succeed at this level? You were thinking, okay, X's and O's during the flow of the game and how is he going to recruit? Uh, I know that there are certain... no Nobody's perfect, but boy, there's a lot to be excited about even if maybe the top of the top targets did not choose the University of Michigan. It's it's one of those one step back for two or three steps forward. I was, I was really impressed with how he handled everything on the recruiting side, balancing it with still trying to get acclimated to this 2019-2020 team that, you know, let's face it, they had a bunch of guys who played a national championship game. They're not thinking, oh, well, we're just the foundation of the program building here. No, we want to win we want to win now. We want to be a contender. And this team, you know, we'll never know how they could have done in March. But, you know, certainly the upside was there. My question for you, John, is as you've seen coaches come in in football and basketball in any sport, the recruiting aspect is so unique. It's such a big difference when you're talking about somebody coming from the professional ranks to the college ranks. What do you think stands out about A coach who can be a great recruiter. What do you think that requires?
1: Well, he's got to be a salesman. He's got to be able to sell first and foremost, which should be an easy sell—the University of Michigan. He's got to be able to sell himself, his coaching staff, his system, and we don't. The hard part with and and his success. So for Jawan Howard, the hard part is the the final chapter was not written this year. So. You, you develop a reputation in regards to, you know, how far do you go in the tournament? What is your tournament record? And we don't know what that is. We were hoping we would know this time this year, but, you know, it's, it's an unwritten, unfinished book. So he doesn't have that to sell. But what he does have to sell is his affiliation with the University of Michigan. This is where I chose to go to school when I was being recruited. I was a McDonald's All-American. I was a member of the Fab Five. I spent 18 years in the NBA. I was a, a great player. I was a, a, an assistant coach. I have cut my teeth in a lot of different ways and have great experience. He has been able to sell that to the recruits. And so... This is the first full. Resu- this is his first resu- recruiting cycle because he didn't really get a chance to recruit last year. He is right now uh, ranked by two four seven sports the number twelve, you know, recruiting class in the country. So that means you know Auburn is up there at seven. That's Bruce Pearl, who's been in this business for a long time. LSU, um, you know, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky. He is competing and he is winning some of these recruits away from some of these other top programs that you see at the top of the list every year. Michigan is number twelve. They are the number one recruiting class in the Big Ten. Illinois comes in at fifteen, and then you've got to go all the way down to number 22 before you even get to Wisconsin. And then you start looking, you go, well, Purdue's at 26. Where is everybody else? Michigan State, in-state recruiting battles, they're at number 36. So, you know, when you talk about trying to build your program and what your program's going to be, you look, well, how do you compare against everybody else in recruiting? Right now, Jawan Howard is is owning the Big Ten. And that's what you got to do. Now what we've got to decide is now that he's recruiting his own type of player – What's the offense that he's going to run? What's the style of basketball? How can he develop these players? That will lead to more recruits, that, and that will lead to success. This is the first domino to fall. Now we've got to kind of wait and see what he does with everything else.
3: Number six on today's seven from 77, I got a few would-you-rathers, John. Would you rather have a permanent splinter under your big toenail or have a permanent bad haircut?
1: Um, I will take the permanent bad haircut because in quarantine life, I do not actually have a haircut, and it is the longest my hair has ever been. Uh, I have had a turf toe. I've had a broken toenail on my big toe, and I'm telling you, it is the most annoying injury that you can have. I used to think when somebody had turf toe, like, you know, uh, it's your toe, dude. Like, get over it. No, no. It's a big deal. So if I had a splinter under my underneath my big toenail, that's a big problem. A bad haircut, put a hat on. Let's roll.
3: <laughs> Would you rather invent a new technological advancement or discover a new species of animal?
1: Oh, depends if I can eat the new animal. If the new animal has good ribs, maybe a good tenderloin, um, I might take the new animal. Uh, but, uh, if, if I can invent a new technology, then I'll be rich beyond my wildest dreams. And then I can tackle trying to find that new species. So I'll take the new technology.
3: Fair enough. I hope you don't find the new species of animal because <laughs> something tells me the studies wouldn't be too long. It would just be, hmm, how does it taste?
1: Yep. Yeah. what, what, what's best wood to smoke it with?
3: There you go. And finally, would you rather have an unlimited metabolism that allows you to eat whatever you want and you remain very much in shape or receive $1 million right now?
1: Oh, well, gosh, I I kind of have been eating whatever I want. That's not going well. So I'll take the million bucks uh, because I, I guess I'd rather have the million bucks and then I could eat whatever I wanted and die a happy man.
3: Now, are you staying in excellent shape? That's the other caveat. You can eat whatever you want, but you also stay in great. We'll say we'll say you get a John Jansen six pack and not beer.
1: <clears throat> Brian, um, I just told you I went running with my daughter and my escape. I don't know if it was, it was just my my I wanted out of it at the time because I was breathing hard. But I I contemplated running in front of a truck, believing that I could stop that truck and that I would become come victorious in that matchup so i think the whole i'm doing my best to stay in shape but i'm also trying to find any way out of it that i possibly can
3: i would be curious how that truck battle would go uh but we'll move on what what new shows what new podcasts what new forms of entertainment can you recommend to our fans who let's face it we're we're delving deeply into hashtag content
1: uh, we are, and I I'm not a big fan of going back and watching you know former games. My kids have actually asked me to dig up some former games that I played in, so they can get a chance to see some of those. And and we've had some some great moments in the house. I get a little fired up thinking about that '95 game against Ohio State and Timunga, Biakabatu can run all over the the state, best running back in the stadium at the time, even though Eddie George. Won the Heisman, uh, but couldn't beat the, the Michigan defense. Uh, we did go over the 96 uh, game as well, the Ohio State matchup when I took on the big cat Andy Katzenmoyer. We had a chance to watch Brian Greasy come in at halftime and make that great throw to Ty Street as he beat Sean Springs going for the touchdown. There's been a lot of those great moments in the Jansen house. Um, and, and so... You know, I don't really have a series that you can turn to. I don't really have a – I tell you what, I am open for all suggestions. I watched the new episode of Tiger King, and i got to be honest with you, pretty disappointing. There was uh, no Joe Exotic. Obviously, he's in federal prison. Um, there was – and it was quarantine style, so there's no interaction. The, the conversation, I thought, was entertaining like the whole show was. But um just didn't really do it for me. So I'm, I'm looking for some, some new content. Have you watched Breaking Bad, John? You know what? I watched it, and some of those, it just, like, <laughs> it, I have a hard time getting past, like, a season and a half. Because it seems like the storyline just takes so many twists and turns, and you never get any resolution to any questions, and... Um, it's, I, I just, I have a hard this, my staying power isn't quite there for some of those.
3: Well, I'm, I'm locked in on better call Saul, the episode Monday, the fastest hour plus of my week is when the new better call Saul comes out, which is the prequel to breaking bad. Uh, I've also heard Ozarks really good. Have you watched that? I, I haven't gotten into it yet, but I've heard it's excellent.
1: Uh, i've heard that as well uh, but no i have not um but i guess i'll ask you if that's the fastest hour in the uh uh in the brian bush household how is the nintendo switch uh battle going
3: i thought you were gonna say is the slowest hour the podcast recording
1: (laughs) (laughs) no come on this has got to be the second fastest
3: (laughs) it's it's certainly top 100 sure uh nintendo switch is good uh we've we've got four of the five gems on mario party so yeah really productive during this time
1: good good well how about our bacon fact
3: yeah let's do it john uh so this one pretty interesting i i didn't realize this but back in the 80s apparently statistically the popularity of bacon went down the what people credit the big boost for it was that fast food company started unveiling items that introduced bacon? And uh, apparently, the big one was the Frisco Burger at Hardee's. Really started the craze, and now uh, pretty much every fast food restaurant has some sort of bacon item, including the Baconator, which is the Are you are you a Baconator guy?
1: I any if I pull up to a fast food menu, which I rarely do. Yes, I am going, bacon double cheeseburger is usually my Um, go-to. Gosh, what is the name of that one? Uh, I I forget the name of the one um, uh, fast food restaurant that I enjoy going to. But um, yes, bacon is definitely, if you can put that on a burger, that's my go-to. And hey, I would have loved to have been uh, making my own decisions in the 80s because if there was less people eating bacon, that would have meant more bacon for me.
3: I like to think that you were brought into this world to help save bacon. So the Frisco burger and John Jansen through the nineties helped it survive.
1: Yes. And uh, I'm still waiting for my bacon salad to take off. Um, that's one that I did uh, on a previous uh, IMG iteration of college sports now. And that was uh, peppered bacon. It was uh, sriracha bacon. It was about five or six different forms of bacon. And I went international with Canadian bacon, which I still not sure why they call it bacon, because it's really just a small piece of ham. Uh, and then obviously the dressing was the bacon grease. I'm waiting for that to take off. Uh, so if any fast food joints are out there, I have it trademarked. You're welcome to, uh, to ask me about it and I will give you the recipe. Uh, but moving on, I do want to get to our interviews because I had a chance to sit down with not only Peach Pagano, who is Carlo Kemp's mom. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Ben Hall, who was Zach Charbonnet's dad, and Tiffany Zinter, Zach Zinter's mom. All of them have a little bit of a different perspective, and we cover coast-to-coast, as Michigan does in recruiting. So please enjoy. We'll start off with Peach Pagano. Some have welcomed their their kids home after just a year, some after just a semester, but my next guest, who is Peach Pagano, has welcomed Carlo Kemp home after being at school for about four years. Peach, how's it been? And uh, and I guess, are, first of all, are you guys healthy and how are things out there in, uh, in Colorado?
4: Oh, thank you so much, John. Um, it's been incredible to have him home. Uh, it's been four years. You know, you send him off to college and then you get this uh, simple little blessing that he came back, you know, got to come home and be with us. Um, we live with my mom and dad. So we are on, you know, pretty much lockdown mm-hmm. at my house there. My dad's 82 and my mom's 86. So I keep them tucked away every day. And now both my sons are home and I'm the one person that's leaving the house. Going and coming because I'm a caregiver, and um, my job is still needed.
1: That raises the question too, and we'll talk about Carlo and and the experience of having him home in just a minute. But I, I think this is unique in regards to there has been such a outpouring of support for caregivers because we understand the risk that you are you you put yourself in by. You know, doing what you do, and that is serving others and making sure that they have they are healthy. But um, what are your concerns about continuing to do what you do, but yet having to come home to your family?
4: Well, I'm I'm in a pretty strict routine mm-hmm. on a daily basis. I um, I get up, I pray, I ask for God's protection, and you know, having Him be with me every home that I do enter. Um, most of my people are elderly and they are at home so it's nice there's not a lot of people coming and going and so we have a pretty good routine they do have family members that help and check out but I continue to do the same thing over and over again I have my route I go to their houses I wear a mask I have gloves I wipe down um, and then at night, when I come home, I do the same routine. I take my shoes off at the door, take my mask and glove off. <laughs> I go straight down to the utility room, take my clothes off and, and then start the night. <laughs> so I don't bring in any outside germs. I'm super careful. And, you know, I just have to look out because of my mom and dad and their age and they are in good health. They absolutely have great health. but. You just never know. So I just asked for the Lord's blessing almost every hour. And um, I'm just really grateful that I'm able to do what I can do and still help them.
1: Well, we're very grateful to that you do what you do as well, and and thank you from from the Michigan family for for what you're doing out there in Colorado and and taking care of folks, and uh, you're also taking care of your sons. Uh, and Carlo yes. obviously uh, uh, got his fifth year. Um, let's first touch on that. What did it mean to you guys, and what was the process like to try and petition for that extra year of eligibility for Carlo?
4: Well, it was uh, it was a good one. It was. <laughs> Again, a lot of prayer and a lot of um, trying to figure things out and, you know, getting that petition done and um, Sean McGee was just excellent and, you know, really fought for us. We just weren't sure what was going to happen and kind of, you know, put it in their hands and obviously the Lord's hands and the NCAA, you know, ruled, you know, pretty quickly. So we didn't have to wait too long. But I'm just so thankful for him because he's just worked so hard and, you know, loved Michigan and uh, had a pretty decent year. So it was awesome to know that he has one more shot.
1: And he was preparing for spring football when all of this went down. What was it like? Um, And I guess I'd like to get your perspective on the concerns you had of Carlo and and your other son being – away from home, but then getting them home, what was the process like and in the, in the concerns that you had of, of him being in Ann Arbor?
4: Well, I would just do a daily check-in call or FaceTime. And, you know, my other son, Mariano, is down at CSU Pueblo. And um, nothing was really coming out at that point, especially down in Pueblo. There wasn't any cases. But Ann Arbor, you know, certainly was starting to become a little hot spot. And every day that we were talking, you know, I just kept telling him, how are you feeling? How are your spirits? And him being the leader and, you know, doing what he did, he's like, mom, we got this. We're going to, you know, we're just moving ahead one day at a time. And um, I felt comfortable, but deep down I was, you know, a little bit nervous and just making sure that he was taken care of and doing the proper stuff. And he, you know every day was, you know, going to the football facilities, going to class. And then each day as it progressed, it was like, wow, this is coming down a little bit harder. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, once it went to the stay at home in Michigan, it was time to get him home.
1: And I know that we were talking just before we started recording that when you went to the airport, there was, there was nobody there, but it, to, to make sure that obviously Carlo was safe and that you and you and your family and your home were safe there were some some measures that you took in the airport Could tell us about those I
4: did it, it kind of makes me laugh but we had a good plan he had a mask and gloves and I brought a change of clothes from the house even down to you know underwear and shoes and um, I basically, um, waited for him in the parking lot. He had two suitcases with him. I brought Lysol spray and bleach. We bleached down the, the two pieces of luggage, let that air out for a minute, and then in the parking lot, opened the door, and Carlos simply changed all the clothes that he wore on the airplane. I had gloves. I took those clothes, put them in a bag, and ziplocked it and, and took that straight to the washing machine when we got home. So it was quite a process. But like I said, there was nobody in
1: the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And in the communication that you had leading up to that, what did, what were you hearing from either Ward Manuel, Jim Harbaugh, uh, you know, Sean Nua, his position coach in regards to that, that anything that made you feel comfortable or that they were taking precautions to take care of your son?
4: Yes, I felt um, I had good communication with them and um, Mark was sending out emails and I felt like they were doing an excellent job of keeping us parents informed and trying to, you know, get the information that they were receiving to what they could give to us parents. And, you know, I I had no problem texting or calling, you know, coach or figuring out what was going to be needed. And what was the best care for Carlo and, you know, the team. So it was excellent.
1: I've talked to Carlo before and our and our listeners have heard about the relationship that he has with your dad, um, and in that special connection. Is what is a day look like for Carlo from your perspective in regards to I know he is probably trying to work out whenever he can. Obviously, he's got the online classes that he's doing at, at Michigan. But how how antsy is he right now?
4: <laughs> you know, he's doing pretty good. Um, I've always led a very structured life for my children, and I always felt like that was the best thing. And in this kind of chaotic you know, situation that we're living in, um, both him and Mariano are very dedicated. They get up. They work out together. There's kind of a plan between nine and ten, or you know, eleven and twelve. They have a little system going. My dad has been nonstop cooking. (laughs) There, the the food. That's probably my biggest (laughs) fear is the food and having to make my trip to the grocery store because I try to buy for at least three weeks. You can't imagine the meat that is coming into our home. My dad, I know, is so overjoyed to have, you know, both the boys back, but it is nonstop eating. The blender never stops. My mom was so cute. She goes, does it just go on 24 hours? And I'm like, I think so, mom, (laughs) not going (laughs) to stop. Because with three workouts a day, that blender starts going and it's, but it's life. It's joy. It's, It's bringing us, as a family to have this again, because once your children go to college, then it's on to the next, Mm -hmm. you know, and you don't get this opportunity like we are getting, even though the circumstances are horrific and, you know, people are dying from this disease. But for us as a, as a family unit, it's the five of us again, that I never thought would ever happen. You know, maybe Christmas breaks and, you know, depending on vacation schedules, but this is, this is what we did because we grew up, you know, I've been with my parents and my kids have grown up with them. So to me, I'm kind of selfishly happy in my heart. And, you know, my mom and dad, like I said, 80, 82 and 86.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So oh. blessed.
1: And, and, you know, everybody tries to find that silver lining. And I think everybody that is a parent and my kids are obviously a little bit younger. They're in, in middle school and elementary school, but we get the opportunity to, you know, spend all day together and yeah, there's school and they're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm teacher PE coach and doing all of that, but it's, I try and, again, find the silver lining like you do where I, I'm getting this extra time that I normally wouldn't have had with them at school. So, um, you know, you somewhat feel selfish, but it's okay to be that way right now. And uh, before we let you go, as we talked to Peach Pagano, uh, mom of Carlo Kemp, returning captain Carlo Kemp, um, what is the, I guess, the the signature dish of Grandpa Pagano?
4: Oh, it's well, it's rigatoni and sausage. But my dad has gone on to far more, you know, expanding his his entrees for us. He's getting so creative, watching Rachel Ray, you know, trying to change it up. But it's usually pasta and sausage and peppers is our main thing. And um, just keeping those carbohydrates going.
1: Oh yeah. Well, Peach, I sure appreciate your time and, uh, best of luck out there. Stay healthy, stay safe. And again, thank you for being the caregiver you are and, and, you know, taking the risks that you have to take and the precautions that you do, but thank you for your time today.
4: Thank you so much and God bless and stay safe and go blue.
1: I'm now joined by Ben Hall. Better known as the dad of Zach Charbonnet and Ben. First of all, thanks for joining us. And you're in Southern California. How are things going out there in in these uncertain times?
5: Doing pretty well. Obviously, uh, you know, big population state, um, and uh, with living near Los Angeles Airport, had some anxiety early on with uh, the movement of people and the in the virus. But uh, it appears that our state's doing pretty well. People are staying home and and taking the precautions. And um, from a numbers standpoint, it looks like we're doing pretty pretty well out here.
1: And and I, I laugh a little bit about announcing you as obviously Ben Hall, but Zach Charbonnet's dad. Was there a point when Zach was in high school or now that he's at Michigan where you went from being Ben Hall to, oh, that's Zach's dad?
5: Well, it's it's funny you say that. I gave a presentation in front of about, uh, oh, 50 members of the generic drug community. Um, at the end of January and I started a presentation out where I uh, I discussed what I defined as my wilting ego and uh, and I and I and I literally gave it in the presentation I gave this you know this identity of myself for the first you know 44 years of my life as Ben Hall um, and you know the the refined or the the renewed identity is you know are you Zach's pop are you you know, what's that relatedness to Zach? I've lost all of my own identity, so to speak. Well, um, so yes, a hundred percent it's evolved that way.
1: And so what was from, from a parent's perspective, and you know, I, this is going out to all Michigan fans and um, they obviously follow Michigan recruiting. They see Zach coming out of, of Southern California there and, and, you know, a lot of excitement, but from your perspective, what was the recruiting process like and just, you know, fielding phone calls, the pressure of, of you know, watching your son go through his, you know, senior year of high school and making a decision? What was it like for you as a parent?
5: You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, with Zach, I would say I knew at an early age, we had some confidence that he had some pretty special physical skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so frankly, it started, you know, in eighth grade, we we went on a trip, a family trip to Hawaii, and I didn't schedule anything, but I did. I did take Zach and his two brothers to University of Hawaii, and we literally showed up, found the weight room, toured the weight room on our own, found the football complex. You know, went to the front desk, asked the assistant if there was anybody we could meet with, um, and we sat down for about an hour in the film room with the offensive coordinator. Um, and so we started on family trips you know, to Colorado, to Washington. We started feeding, sort of feeding him and giving him visibility to sort of what Division One football and the commitment and the, and the investment from the program looked like, um, such that when it started to occur, um, you know, the, the interest and all that sort of stuff, it wasn't entirely um, surprising. It wasn't new for him. I think there was an ability for him to sort of handle it because he'd been uh, you know, if you will, he'd, he'd been, the horse had been led to water a little bit about what, what, what the, the division one level of football looks like, mm-hmm. you know, that said, you know, when the interest sort of goes, goes through the roof the way it did and the offers start coming in for Zach, it was easy because he's not much of a public he he doesn't choose to be a very public figure with what's going on in his personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it was generally easier because he didn't create more pressure through social media. um, he didn't you know, he didn't create his own, his own, uh, um, his own pressure, so to speak. So as a function of that, you know, he had a fairly quiet recruitment. Um, he visited a few schools, um, on an unofficial basis. Um, after his unofficial visit to Michigan, he, he really felt that was the place for him. I actually had to slow him down, um, and tell him, listen, you need to at least take, you know, let one school pay for you to come visit, so to yeah. speak, <laughs> which he did. Um, so he did do the one official to Michigan, and then he quickly made his commitment um, within a day or two of being home. And um, he's I mean, he's he's just the kind of kid who, once he makes that commitment, he sort of shuts down to the process. So he was able to play his senior year, I think, pretty free and easy because uh, he had made that decision in the summer before his senior
1: year. And it's no small trip between Southern California and Ann Arbor. So what was it like, you know, sending him off to, you know, Michigan football, Jim Harbaugh and Jay Harbaugh his coach? What was it like uh, on that send off? And how, how hard was it to, to see him go off to college?
5: You know, I think, I think uh, for me, I wouldn't say it was hard. Um, I would say that for me, you know, what we talked about is he wanted to study business. Mm-hmm. So we talked about where do you find, you know, a perennial top 10 top 15 program married with a top 10 or 15 business program. Um, so for me, my, my, my view was, you know, he had found that landing spot that fit in uh, consistently with the goals that he had set for himself. And so I knew he was off to chase his dreams, you know, admittedly for mom, um, you know, they're, they're movie buddies. Um, they, they spend a lot of, you know, they spend a lot of time together. She's got a, she's got a significant investment, um, in the, in that relationship in ways that I, you know, there are things that they, that they, that they, they do together that, that aren't, um, that are, that are time consuming, if you will, that, uh, are just different, um, than the, than the relationship that, that Zach and I would necessarily have. And so, you know, for her, there was a, there was a, I would say a, a, a greater challenge in sort of losing her buddy, so to speak, that way. And frankly, having Zach home for the last uh, the last month or so, and for the time going forward, there's no question that that we're getting back what we lost when he early enrolled. Uh,
1: yeah, and and you know he was a kid that showed up uh, in late December, early January at Michigan as an early enrollee had a had a spring under his belt before his first season. And uh as I talked to Ben Hall, who is the the dad of Zach Charbonnet, and um we mentioned the distance between obviously California and Ann Arbor. Um what was it like for you when the coronavirus started to invade the US and you know that your son is is on the other side of the country what was the communication like? What were the concerns that you have? And, and how were those concerns possibly mitigated a little bit by what was going on with Michigan football and them protecting your son?
5: Yeah, obviously for mom and I, there was some anxiety at first because the boys had were really just coming coming back from spring break. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, in the news cycle on the coronavirus was, was starting to accelerate. And Michigan has quite an international population, right So there's a lot of people that are tra- you can imagine are traveling to all different parts of the world for that week off and then subsequently coming back to school. And so you've got the density of the students inside of uh, inside of the um, you know the dorms and, and, and just everything that goes to sort of college life, that density. And so there's some anxiety there. Um, obviously we were getting regular communications from the program as to the things that were they were doing and, you know, what was open and where the kids could eat and how they were, you know, managing sort of the team. Um, and then and then quite quickly, frankly, I think four days after they had returned from spring break, you know, we, we got a communication or I got a communication. I was at my office from Zach that just said, hey, you know, I land at 10 o'clock tonight. Who, you know, who's going to come pick me up? So the cycle went pretty fast um, with the communications and what they were doing to him coming home.
1: And now that he is home and you mentioned this, it's it's kind of a unique situation where you get the added time and, and I think as parents, we all understand the benefit of of having your kids home and, and being close, especially in a time like this, but um, you know, how is how's the training going? What's it like having him home? And and I always thought this when I was you know off at, at michigan myself but when i'm at michigan when i'm in ann arbor i'm obviously living by my rules and you get accustomed to that how is he adjusted or you adjusted to having him home and being under house rules again
5: no look it's it's been great um you know like i say we, we lost that time when he early enrolled and uh you know i can remember dropping him off and thinking well you know this is the end of of that version of life right so that's sort of the expectation that he's um. He's, he's off to school, and from there he'll he'll go off to be employed in some 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 way, and uh, and never be back under our roof. And so having him home on the one hand is great, you know, in terms of the in terms of the training and all that that stuff. He's such a self starter mm-hmm. that 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 part's frankly easy. I would even argue that and in, in getting home and reconnecting with some of his high school buddies who are still playing uh, college football. You know, the first couple of weeks, they were probably overdoing it because there was a little bit of let me show you, you know, let me show you my gains from the last year. Right. <laughs> right. There's a, there, there, there was a little bit of like, you know, almost like I say, overdoing it. Um, but then there's there's little things that are great, too. I mean, he's taking his brother with him. Um, so, you know, younger brothers, you know, getting to put in the same level of work and the same reps and that sort of stuff. Um So from that standpoint, frankly, it's been great.
1: And last year during the football season, there obviously, you know, Zach was a, a large component coming in as a freshman in the backfield of, you know, the success of the office when it went, when it had success and had a great freshman year, but there's, there were rumors swirling around about, you know, did he have surgery or, uh, you know, how, how, how healthy is he? How hard is it as a parent to have to basically stand by and watch all of that happen, um and you know you already mentioned this too zach's not much of 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 a social media guy he's not a guy that that puts himself out there so maybe it didn't affect him as much as maybe as it did you guys
5: yeah it's hard i think what's what's tough about it for for mom you know and, and for me is to know how hard he worked know the goals that he has for himself and while he you know didn't have the surgery and he didn't have you know a lot of the a lot of the rumors of swirling had, had, you know, fair numbers of elements of untruth to him. Um, he was not, you know, he was not back to him, you know, because it, it, it was well covered that he had had surgery the previous January. And so he, he wasn't um, playing with a, with a full deck of cards in terms of in terms of his physical capacity. And so, you know, it's, it's tough to know that he's being challenged by that, that he's not, you know, he, he puts so much pressure on himself to perform and to excel and to know that he doesn't have that full capacity in terms of his physical tool set, when he wants to be, you know, he wants so bad for the team to be, to be that guy, to be able to be leaned on heavily. Um, and then to be, to to have to be managed the way he was, um, for, for all the right reasons. It's just, it's tough. It's just tough because you know, that even though he may not be expressing it, um, you know, day to day, it's hard on him. It's, you can see, we could see the heaviness, um, You know, when we would sit with them Friday nights before games, you know, over at the team hotel or sit with them, you know, Saturday nights or Sunday morning, you can just see the frustration. And um, um, so it was tough. It wasn't, it wasn't easy, but at the same time, all you can do is remind them that uh, it's it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? That he, you know, you, you, you've only been here for six months, you know, you will get stronger, you'll get healthier, you'll do all these things and you've got a lot more games to compete and show show what you can do.
1: And as, as I do, you always try and look for the silver lining, and obviously the time that you have with Zach, that that his mom has with Zach, is is one of those silver linings. But uh, is it also possible that not having spring ball, um, because you you mentioned that he wasn't a hundred percent last year in regards to recovering from that surgery, that this is an opportunity for him to actually get back to a hundred percent?
5: Look, I I a hundred percent have that view. Um, you know, uh, I, I think the thing that I personally have confidence in is his ability to handle the physical part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have confidence that he can, he can, you know, a mentally read where the blitz is, is likely to come from and then, and B physically put himself where he needs to be to pick up the blitz. Um, you know, every kid of course gets better with, with game speed reps and all that sort of stuff. So I'm not trying to, to mitigate the value of spring ball, but I, I quietly in the back of my own head was sort of okay with um, with his ability to continue to just train because, you know, what he missed last year was development of his lower body in the off-season mm-hmm. because of the surgery that he had in January, the, the procedure he had in January. And so to have sort of an extended period of time, those extra weeks by not being in spring ball, to continue to do lower body work and develop his lower body and and, and get stronger and more confident there is, for me, you know, as I see it, is probably a value.
1: We're joined by Ben Hall, Zach Charbonnet's dad, and and before we let you go, Ben, um, you know any concerns that you have about. Basically, and I don't know what how, what term we're using right now because everything, the, the key word right now is social distancing, but the rollout or, you know, getting back and, you know, Zach will obviously be in a plane coming back to Ann Arbor at some point. He'll be back on campus. Uh, concerns that you might have of, of being back in a team environment where there's no more social distancing and sending your son back off to Ann Arbor.
5: You know, I don't have concerns. I mean, I think we've got such heightened awareness of of, of what we're dealing with from a from a national standpoint, um, and you know, and they're they're, they're they're talking about antibody testing, right? They're, they're, there's so much conversation about from a scientific standpoint. You know, what's coming our way over the next next number of months, um, and I, I just don't think that anybody. If you look at the way the professional leagues have shut down, you look at the end of the NCAA tournament. And you look at the financial impact of all of those decisions, they're not they're not going to race or rush or or get ahead of the curve, if you will, on on doing the right thing from a from a safety standpoint for these kids. In my view, I I, I, that's my anticipation. And so, you know, I just I don't have a lot of anxiety um, as to what the decisions that lay before us that are out in front of us are going to be in terms of the best interest of the kids.
1: Well, Ben, I sure appreciate your time and uh, enjoy that time with Zach back at home. And uh, we're looking forward to him being back in Ann Arbor and uh, looking forward to seeing you in the fall.
5: Absolutely. And go blue.
1: Joining us now as we've had a chance to talk to Carlo Kemp's mom, who is. Carlo's a senior, Uh, Peach Pagano joined us earlier, and Ben Hall, the dad of Zach Charbonnet. We're trying to go coast to coast and span as many different classes in terms of freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors, and we've got a unique opportunity to talk to Tiffany Zinter, who is the mom of early enrollee and freshman Zach Zinter. Uh, Tiffany, thanks for joining us today, and uh, I think first I'd like to get an update is – How's everything going in the Zinter household? Everybody healthy?
2: Everybody is healthy. Thanks for having me. Uh, We're doing great. We're four weeks in to quarantine, and uh, everyone's healthy. No issues, knock on wood, which is great. Um, The kids are all doing their online classes and staying active with their workouts and just trying to keep each other sane, to be honest with
1: you. <laughs> and it's not just so obviously I'm calling to talk about, uh, you know, Zach being an early enrollee, but um, you've got other kids as well. And so you span a, a, a large gamut from middle school, high school, and now freshman in college. How have the different levels, how has it been challenging for you guys to meet the needs of all your kids?
2: Uh, well, so we have an eighth grader, a freshman in high school, and then Zach, um, the early enrollee. So it's it's been, it hasn't been horrible, to be honest with you. They uh, they each have, a, you know, their own workspace in their bedrooms and they each have each school that they each attend have their different schedules. So they've been able to manage that very well, honestly. Um, so I can't really complain. Uh, it's, it's gone very well, to be honest with you. So it's uh it's it's for the situation we're in it's it's going well,
1: and it's unique that that Zach was an early enrollee. He had only been on on the the campus for a couple of months before obviously everything in Michigan was shut down and had to come home. but um what were some of the decisions or how was the decision made to enroll early at Michigan?
2: Zach knew all along through his recruiting um that he wanted to enroll early so as soon as he committed to Michigan, uh, we went right to the high school and that he was attending, and worked it out to where he was able to graduate early. So he um, he always knew he wanted to graduate early and get in. He wanted to get his feet wet, get started um, with the training, learn the the book of the you know the playbook. He uh, he just he, and then so basically with being in high school, they this was the first time uh, Zach's in the ISL, which is the independent school league of the high schools. And, um, he was the first high school student to ever early enroll. So it was kind of a process we had to go through to get everything approved. But, um, once it was, he had to do quite a bit of work up front so that he could graduate early to get all of his requirements taken care of. Um, so he worked hard. He worked hard to get it all done and to be able to graduate in December. And, um, he was excited. We were all excited to get him there in January and to get started and, um, it was, it was very sad to see it come to a quick halt. But for the two months that he was there, he did exceptional. He's done great in the academic world. He's done great um, in the football world there with the training and so forth. So it was a great start, and we hope to get back very quickly to continue.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, Zach, so, obviously being your oldest, um, I'm sure it's hard to send him off to college, but when all of the – News about the coronavirus started to hit the news, um, and it was uh, obviously Detroit now. uh, Looking back, um, we didn't know it was going to be a hotspot, but it is. Um, What were some of your concerns, and, and what was the communication between you and the football team and you and Zach like in the process of bringing him home?
2: Well, to be honest with you, in the beginning, um, we felt like everything was taken care of very well. You know, when the virus started hitting, um, I we really weren't worried at Michigan yet. Um, we knew everything was done well to keep the kids healthy and to keep them safe. So, um, once it really hit and the football department kind of was talking to the team, saying, you know, hey, we're not sure what's gonna happen, um, you know, with the practices and if they were going to even get spring practice in and things like that. um, As soon as everything was kind of put on, they kind of went on a 10 day hold. Hey, we're going to, you know, wait 10 days. We decided to bring Zach home right away. Like just, you're going to, you know, they were shutting everything down for 10 days originally, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, we flew him home right away. And then I would say in less than, gosh, maybe even less than 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, everything was shut down over a month you know so we got him home pretty quickly um just because um we knew there was nothing there for him to do Mm -hmm. and they were shutting down the football facility for training so we knew he could come home here and train here we didn't want him just sitting around for 10 days doing nothing so we got him home as soon as we could um in fact the day that they canceled it that thursday we got him out literally within two hours just to fly him home just to get him here not really in a panic but just like hey we can get your flight let's get you home And, um, you know, we thought, honestly, he only packed for a week. We thought he'd be back, you know. Um, So he didn't really pack to be home this long. So that wasn't our intentions, obviously. We just thought, well, you're going to have 10 days off. Let's get you here, keep the training going, you know, instead of you there trying to figure out how you're going to train for 10 days. Um, So we got him home pretty quickly. Now in the transition breathing going over in the scheme of how the football department works, I mean, they've done – an excellent job keeping him up to date on what to do, the workouts. Um, I love how Abigail keeps them up with their nutrition. You know, they're constantly checking in with what they're eating. Um, So the football department, I think, has done a phenomenal job trying to engage with the kids daily um, on how to keep them honest, how to keep them up to date with their workouts, you know, that kind of thing. So I can't really complain. Now I wish they were back there doing everything Mm -hmm. um, just because, it's different, You know, it's, it's different having him train here at home than it is if he was there at Shem's doing it there with the team and, and his teammates and coaches, you know.
1: Well, so. and, and along with the guidance that uh, Abigail O'Connor, the team nutritionist, has provided, I know that uh, obviously you spent 18 years uh, cooking for a Big Ten offensive lineman. What are some of the challenges <laughs> of making sure that you've got the fridge stocked? And I'm sure, I, I know my mom was the same way, uh, it, you, you think you've got it stocked and then all of a sudden you look in there and it's all gone. What are the challenges for feeding a Big Ten offensive lineman?
2: Yeah, just lots of protein. Lots of protein. <laughs> lots of protein. Um, you know, I mean, that, he's, unfortunately, he was only gone for a couple of months. So, um, you know, we had, he had a sports nutritionist before he left. So we were trained very well for the last couple of years of his high school years where we had um, a sports nutritionist help us and him just be able to eat the right things to keep him full. Because, you know, when you're feeding somebody of his size, it's constantly food, you know, and just making sure you're feeding them the right things to keep him full. So that aspect, we are very well trained with it. So keeping it, um I go out about once every nine to ten days and stock up um through this pandemic of trying to get the food, which is almost embarrassing when you go to check out because people look at you like, Wow, are you really Stocking up for a month, and I'm like, no, I just have a lot of kids at home that eat. You know? <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, we had three refrigerators here at the house, which stay pretty much stocked full. Wow. Um, you know, yeah, so it's it's a lot of protein, a lot of protein that he eats. So, uh, fortunately, I've been prepped well on how to cook for him, and he wasn't gone long enough for me to forget how to cook for him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he does. It is hard, you know, with two teenage boys in the house it's a lot
1: of food that we go through. Absolutely. I remember my mom was, would say the same story where she would be in the checkout line and she'd have, you know, four gallons of milk because of me and my two brothers Mm -hmm. and they would ask, you know, what, how long will this last? And she would, you know, be honest with them and she'd be like, well, you know, day and a half, maybe two days. And that's just, (laughs) Hey, that's, that's growing boys and the questions that you've got to answer in the checkout line. But Mm -hmm. um,
2: exactly between that, the eggs, I think I usually check out like five or six, 18 packs of eggs. You know, it's like, it's just, you know, people are like, nope. "What are you shopping for?" You
1: know, well prepared so, yeah, for a pandemic.
2: Is. I know, I know. It just doesn't last as long as it should, but that's okay. You know uh-huh. that's what's okay. uh,
1: what's the favorite meal that you cook uh, for your family?
2: Healthy or not healthy? Like, oh no, we got to. Hey, trust me, you're talking to
1: an <laughs> offensive lineman, so unhealthy is what I'm going for.
2: Well, I would probably say for him, it's a mix up between either mexican or italian i would say um you know he loves his mexican food or his italian food but we eat on a normal basis his our go-to is just a lot of grilled chicken grilled chicken and veggies is what we eat a lot of um on a weekly basis and uh but if he's having his splurge meal he's having probably some good old italian uh either lasagna ziti something along that lines or a good mexican meal you know Mm-hmm. So, uh, like a good burrito stuffed with a little bit of everything.
1: In it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. So, yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, so I, I guess the, the last thing I'd like to ask you in regards to, you know, we, we talked about the nutrition side of things and, and what Abigail has done, uh, Ben Herbert on the, the strength and conditioning side for Michigan. How has he been able to provide some guidance for Zach to continue his training? Um, and how does that fit into the, the schedule or the family schedule that you guys have?
2: So coach Herb has been awesome. He, um, Zach has multiple sheets down that we we're fortunate enough to have a home gym, um, mm. um, in our basement. So that's huge. Um, and then as soon as we kind of figured out that, uh, this was all going down, we were able to get some, uh, we got 115, 125, 150 pound dumbbells from a friend of ours, um, that he's loaned us while we're on this pandemic thing. Cause we don't really keep those kind of dumbbells in the, in our, in our home. Gym. Why would
1: you? So, yeah,
2: exactly. Um, so we were fortunate enough to get that. So CoTerm has been awesome in getting, um, the, the workouts for, I believe, all of the kids. Obviously, you know, Zach's got awesome, um, sheets down there that he can go by what they're supposed to do on a, on a daily basis. So Zach's down there grinding out with, by himself. And then his brother goes down with them and they push each other. Um, Zach's doing it six days a week. He takes one day to recover. And then, um, him and his brother and then my husband, Paul, we'll go up to the field. We have a high school field that's still open here and they go and do footwork a few days a week um, to work on their footwork and some pass drills and things like that. So um, it's with all the time that we have, that seems like either they're studying, they're eating or they're working out, you know, so Mm -hmm. there's plenty of time for all of it to go on. Um, So it's great, you know, that we've got that kind of time that he can, that he can get that in. And we're fortunate that he has the accessibility to the gym here to, to keep it going.
1: Yeah, it, it is unfortunate, but hopefully uh, things even out here pretty soon. We get all the kids back and uh, and we, we have a college football season because I am excited Absolutely. for you guys to have your first college football season, see Zach run out of the tunnel. It's a special moment yes. uh, and uh, yes. I know you will enjoy it.
2: Yes. No, we're very excited. Very excited. Yeah, that was that was one thing we're sad about is that spring game. You know, we were excited to see him in that uniform and that maize and blue and mm-hmm be out there on the field you know that's so we're hoping and praying that come fall you know all the kids will be back and we'll be able to be in the stands you know the whole all hundred ten thousand plus will be in the stands cheering these boys on and uh and we'll be able to get back to life and somewhat normalcy
1: well we're all looking forward to that and uh but again thank you for your time and uh stay safe and uh good luck uh next trip to the uh, grocery store
2: yeah i appreciate it thank you so much
1: Well, I want to thank Peach Pagano, Ben Hall, Tiffany Zinter for their time uh, during this challenging time for all of our families. But obviously having uh, a son that is off to college, getting them home, getting them home safely, making sure that your family stays safe uh, and well fed. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Zinter, uh, and, uh, for keeping Zach fed. We want to make sure our offensive linemen are well taken care of. But um, uh, thanks to those for taking the time to talk to me and as well as give some information and some insight to our fans. We will continue to bring you updates from Michigan football, Michigan athletics as often as we possibly can. I want to thank Brian Bush for his tireless efforts in what he does Uh, to make this podcast a reality and to make it sound like it is professional because that is not done by me. That is done by one Brian Bush. So thank you very much. And we will continue to bring you everything Michigan athletics here on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network.